Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Mano, let's go, mi chiamo. <laughs> That's an actual line from the opera. Uh, you know, it's another actual line. What? Adieu, notre petite table. Yes. Oh, guys, I have a good story. I have a good story about that, Aria. What? Tell it now. Actually, it's not a good story. Tell it now, no context. (laughs) No, you have to tell it now. I I was in a. Well, this is actually extremely applicable to this episode. When I was in college, I was in an opera scenes program that was basically, I think the director called it like Contemplations on Menon, which was Ah. like. It it was all songs that were from either Menon or Menon Lescaut. Or uh, I think there was, yeah, I sang in a duet from Traviata. It was like all around the same theme, like the fallen woman, like that whole shtick. And in any case, it was staged so that everybody that was singing, there were like five different arias and or duets that were a part of this set. And all of the singers were on stage for the whole time. And the director wanted to have everybody veiled in like a like a see-through silk material, like draped over the person. And then mm-hmm. before their aria, there was almost like this narrator that came and pulled off the veil. And then it was unveiling a new scene, what have you. And yeah. so basically, I've heard that, that aria sung... At what feels like a million times in rehearsal and had to just sit silently on stage completely still breathing ever so lightly while it was performed <laughs> just you guys are bringing me back that's all i'm saying and does that does that mean that you hate the aria now no actually i love the aria it's a beautiful aria it is but i feel like when you're in school there are certain things that you hear so many times sung often not that well and i think that that you can no longer listen to it anymore right that's the distinction is that the singer that was singing that particular aria was fantastic so yeah that that was uh not my lasting impression still enjoy it well that's good yeah that's good you survived (laughs) it unscathed i know it's not a, a song not a death by aria scenario right do you have a song that you an aria that you can't listen to anymore because you've heard it so many times in in school? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't. Nothing sticks out at me. For me, it's it's more like certain art songs that you yes, know from I, like the I first book sure. of art song. Like say what? Twenty four Italian songs. Say to mommy, mommy, say to so spirit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, like, oh, God. I remember. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like Maria. del mio cor. Sung exactly like that. Wait, wait. You guys are forgetting one of the favorites. What? Caro mio ben. No, oh, nobody? Yes. <laughs> yes. Caro mio ben. The classic. Caro mio ben. Caro mio 
God, oh. kill me now. Kill me now. <laughs> but we digress. All right. No, sort of. I want to say what mine Oh, yes. Is. What is yours? Uh, there are two. It's Omio Babino Caro. Oh. And Juve Vivre. <laughs> oh. I've heard them song so many times and and in varying states of excellence. Um yeah, I can't. Jeva Vivre from Romeo and Juliet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Have you ever heard that opening credenza? That opening credenza? <laughs> We're tired. Have you ever heard that opening credenza sung like really poorly? Mm hmm. Yes. Octave mm-hmm. leaps, people, are extremely difficult. Yes. You think they're easy because they're the same note. They're not easy at all, they're very difficult. They are not easy. Well, now that we've trashed on <laughs> learning singers that are trying to develop their craft slowly. <laughs> we didn't name names. It's <laughs> right. fine. I mean, I will go on record saying I had to sing Caro Mio Ben and Amarilli Mia Bella. And you fucking nailed them as did I. Moving on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So one of the arias that is Kyle's heard many times in conservatory arias is from the opera Manon Manon mm-hmm. by Jules Massenet. Not to be confused with Manon Lescaut by Giacomo Puccini. Correct. So we are actually going to talk about both operas today. <laughs> We're just going to confuse them all up. Nobody's going to be able to tell the difference. That's right. It's we true. are going to compare and contrast the two Manon operas and I think generally it's quite interesting that you have two operas that are pretty solidly in the canon that are the exact same source material telling the same story, but they are quite different in the events from the, the source material that they choose to incorporate into the opera. So the original novel was much longer than could ever be made into an opera. And like most operas, you have to pick and choose what scenes and events and characters from the source material you actually keep in the operatic version and what events and characters you strip away and do not include. It's a whole process. Right. Well, you you bring up a good point, Naomi, in that it's odd that there are two different operas set to the same source material that are both in the canon, but there are other examples of multiple operas being composed around the same source material just one of them usually wins and the other one dies. Right, right. <laughs> like there's more than one version of the Barber of Seville. Mm-hmm. Is there? Everyone only knows one. Right. <laughs> I know there's two La Boheme's. There are two mm-hmm. Boheme's. That was a pretty vicious fight too because right, that was like same time. Puccini and Leon Cavallo were like fighting over the rights to it. Right. And then they ended up basically saying, let's just both compose it and may the best man win the public Ooh. over. And right? he did. <laughs> Sorry, Leon Cavallo. It might be great. I've never heard it. I've heard parts of it. Um, it's not Boheme. It's not Boheme, you know. <laughs> well, it is, but... Uh... <laughs> but it's not it's, Boheme. It's not right, the right, Boheme. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not La Boheme. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was going to say, so they're both based on this novel called um basically the history of the chevalier de Grier and manon lesco yes 
L'histoire du chevalier. Yes, l'histoire du chevalier d'Aiguille et de Manon Lescaut. Ooh, good French. Th- thank you. <laughs> it is the last in a series of seven novels. Fun fact. I didn't know that. Yes, and the whole series is called Memoirs and Adventures of a Man of Quality. What? Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything I disagree about, with about that. the first six. I don't know if it's all like the continuing stories of right. the chevalier d'Aiguille. Um... <laughs> But when it first came out, it was pretty scandalous, and it was banned. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of taken away for a while. And then um, the author, Antoine Francois Prévost, Abbé Prévost, mm-hmm. um, like brought it back later and republished it and took out some of the more salacious details and put like a preface in it, being like, the moral of the story is that. And it was first published in 1731. Right, which is when the novel and the operas, the operas are supposedly set in the 18th century, but there are a lot of productions that sort of just set them whenever, which right. I think is fine. I think it's I think fine. It's fine. It can work. It can work. So we have this popular novel that's really popular and famous mainly because it was a dirty, it was a smutty book, <laughs> as they say in The Music Man. <laughs> Has it made it into your book club yet? No. No. Because that it that veers a little too closely to like actual literature. Mm-hmm. There was one time in book club <laughs> where they put Persuasion on there, which is a Jane Austen novel that I've read a lot and I love Jane Austen, but I didn't read in protest because I was like, this is a legitimate piece of literature and that's not why I signed up for this club. <laughs> <laughs> You guys, if you'll forgive me, you guys tend to read the slightly more trashy novels. Yeah, I like reading the trash. That's what this thing is supposed to be to begin with. You don't really have to think very hard as you read these books. Exactly. It's pure escapism. Exactly. Yeah. So everyone, if you haven't read Persuasion, it's great. So these two operas are based on one of the original smutty books. Smutty books. Yes. And... (laughs) It is supposed to be, or Prevost talked about it being like a a moral story, and I will go on record saying that basically Manon in this story is the one who dies and suffers and, you know... Well, it's named after her, of course, that's what happens right. to her. And De Grieux, who... I mean, I gotta give the guy credit, like, he tries to do the right thing, and he tries to build a life with her, and things keep going wrong, but he doesn't really suffer any major consequences in the end, aside from losing the love of his life. Like, after she Mm -hmm. dies, he just gets to, like, go back to France and basically start over again. So... Well, that's a lot easier in one of the versions. That's true. That's true. So, okay. So these two operas, the first one, the earlier one, is written by Massenet in 1884. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it premiered at the Opera Comique in Paris. And so this is something where if you look at the acts of the opera and how they line up with the um, scenes in the novel... Neither Puccini or Massenet take every single 
chapter or dramatic event and place it in the opera. But there's actually more scenes in Massenet's than there is in Puccini's. And some of the scenes have parallels and some of the scenes are not exactly the same. So Massenet's opera is in five acts and act one is at the inn where they are first traveling and Manon is basically sent to this place by her family and her cousin is supposed to meet her and she's actually being sent to a convent because she's far too wild. And that's all you can do with a wild woman. Right, that's right. all you can do with a wild child. Manon is a, it's like a country girl. A country girl. Mm-hmm. She's a teenager. She's Spirited. young. Um, and she just wants to experience life. And w- so when you first meet her, actually in both operas, they both start this, the first scene is in the same place in both operas and in both operas she is young spirited beautiful but slightly naive and is kind of on her own slightly for the first time in the in her life being sent by her family to meet up with her cousin who's then going to escort her to the convent and so Mm -hmm. as she is outside of this inn in Massenet's version, which I just saw the other night, so it's quite fresh in my brain, basically from the second she gets out of the stagecoach, there's like men that are hitting on her throughout the whole act. Hey, and hey, hey. Basically, and it like starts with like a really old man who's hitting on her and being quite lecherous. And then there's other people that come in and out. And then it so happens that after... After this old man has, you know, kind of come on to her and she's managed to push him away, then De Grieux appears and he sees her and it's like kind of a love at first sight sort of thing for De Grieux. Mm-hmm. But De Grieux and Manon are more or less the same age. I think she's a little bit younger than him, but um, it's more believable that they would fall in love because it's, they both seem to be kind of like young and naive in the beginning. So the same thing happens in Puccini. There's this kind of love at first sight moment. And actually in Puccini, it has the great moment where she says, my name's Manon, what's your name? It's very similar to La Boheme, like the, my name is Mimi, Mm -hmm. what's your name? So let's listen to a little bit of that so you can hear. This is how they first meet in Puccini's Manon Lescaut, which was premiered in 1893. Perdona 
In Puccini's, that e line that she sings to introduce herself, um, Manol, or what is it? Manol, mi chiamo. That mm. comes back throughout the whole opera as a kind of reoccurring musical motif. Mm. There's like a parallel in pop music. Is there? Like Britney Spears. Like, it's Britney, bitch. <laughs> That's the same thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Britney Spears leitmotif? Britney Spears leitmotif. Yeah. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> How many acts is the Puccini version? Massenet has five acts. Puccini has four acts. But we're still not looking at, like, a Wagner-length opera. They're still reasonably length just in many many well, acts the mass and a version is pretty long isn't it it's like four hours long it's right? about four hours long yeah oh dang they got I a lot of singing to do long. they do well manolisco is much shorter yes i didn't realize until this conversation that they were composed so closely together it was really like a 10-year span that's very close together mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's kind of bold of puccini to he was a bold man be like right. I can I can write my own Manol. We're like a very, I don't, we'll talk about it more. But I I feel like the main difference between these two operas is one is just really Italian, <laughs> and one is just really really French. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, for me, I before I went to see Manol the other night, I was much more familiar with Manolisco. So the really basic plot for both of them is that there's this country girl. Her name is Manol. She's a little bit wild, so her family's like, we've got to send you away, straighten mm-hmm. you out. She is there. Her cousin's supposed to take her to this convent. She meets a bunch of dudes. She meets Degria, and she's like, you are hot. And he's like, you are hot. I love you. And she's like, 
okay. And so they run off like, together. Run away with me. And she's like, Paris, okay. right? Yeah, to Paris. They run off to Paris because he is wealthy. He's from a wealthy his, his family. Dad's wealthy. <laughs> yes, he's from a wealthy family. And so he's like, You're too pretty to be in a convent. Let's and run away like, together. Yeah, okay. Um, and so, so they duh. live together in sin. They do in this like little garret apartment. He loves it. She is just like, I. Uh. <laughs> she's like, this is a little too humble for what I wanted. She's not like 100% she's like, in this it. This is not 100% how I, how I saw my right. life going. She's like, this is fine for now. Right. She's like, I'm too pretty to right. be this poor. And then she ends up leaving him. Um, and basically getting together with a slightly older, wealthier man. Yes. And then Degrio is heartbroken. And there's this whole thing about how Degrio's father, like, tries to come and, like, quote-unquote, arrest him or get him arrested to get him away from Manon because his family has never approved of Manon and never approved of their situation, living in sin. So, right. so there are a couple of parallels to Traviata, except yes. Violetta is this very noble, self-sacrificing character. And I feel like in one of the versions, it might be Mendon Lesko, when Mendon decides to leave, she also steals a bunch of shit? Yeah. 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 And, like, generally, in both versions, the operatic versions, there is a kind of a subplot that Manon leaves Degria partially for his own good, quote unquote, mm. so that he can be free of her. But really, it's cast as though she's been given a better offer by somebody else. So she leaves him right. for somebody wealthier so than she him. She steals some shit. She says, it's my old bitch. And she's yeah. <laughs> and then, so in Puccini's, after she leaves Degria, it's like a pattern where Degria can't let her go and she right. can't seem to. She keeps leaving him for somebody wealthier, but then it's almost like she wants to prove her hold over him, so she keeps almost, like, seducing him back to I her. I think she just really loves the idea that there's someone out there who just loves her. Can't let not her go. Not because she's beautiful, not because they want to, like, dress her and cover her in jewels and parade her around as this object, someone that seems to just be, like, so in love with her. Is it... Time for us to talk about Sexy Priest. Yeah. So, so there's a scene in both the operas where... Oh, no. it's only, Oh, no, no. It's only the Massonet. Yeah. yeah. Where Debra is like, I can't do this anymore. I'm a whining man child. I'm going to go become a priest. Yes. And all women are dead to me. And she finds out in her, like... As she's she's like literally having a, a shopping spree. And right. while she's on her shopping spree, and this is uh, the second... No, the third act in Massenet's while she's on this shopping spree she overhears that uh, De Grio has become a priest and she she's f- like I've never had sex with a priest before <laughs> <laughs> so off she, she goes to church <laughs> off she goes to church to St. Sulpice and she finds him there and there's this big love scene seduction scene um, that is almost too graphic well, it's oh song, yeah it is it is Kyle. intense. <laughs> it is intense of Manon going to the church and basically seducing Degria back to her. Right. Mm-hmm. 
like no no i can't no and she's like you want it you want it and then he's, he's like, like yes yeah, yes, yes i do mm-hmm. want it yeah and then they have sex <laughs> then they have sex on stage and that's literally how the curtain falls <laughs> like curtain <laughs> curtain yes <laughs> <laughs> So, but we don't have any priest sex in the Puccini version. Correct. And also in the Puccini version, you don't really have, like, you don't really see them together ever in Paris because it skips that scene. So it goes straight from, like, right. her and Degria running away to Paris and, es- and her escaping the convent life. And then it goes straight to when she's already left him. For this rich old man. For this rich old man. So, Oh, that's who she steals shit from. The rich old man. Because then she goes running off because right. Degria comes back. Yes. 
And she's like, oh, okay. And, and that's when so she grabs I think the jewels. She grabs right. the jewels. And she, like, the police are, like, p- pounding on the door. They're there to try and arrest a bunch of people. And she just can't let it go. She's, like, stuffing the jewels into her coat pockets in the box. And Degria's mm-hmm. like, we have to go. And she's like, just one more diamond. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a crazy scene when you're watching it in the opera house. Because you're like, girl, put down the jewels and just run. 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 <laughs> Right. You're going to get caught. Five. She does get caught. And then both operas do have a, like, we're going to ship you off to prison camp scenario, right? Right. Yes. So in the Massenet one, there is a big gambling scene, which you don't see mm-hmm. in the Puccini oh, yeah. one. But essentially what happens is the cops are just like, you're stealing shit. We're arresting you. <laughs> right. And they're, we're they're kind you of to like, you're, you're a thief and a prostitute, essentially. Yes. You're a thief and a whore. And uh, who? we're shipping, we're putting you on a boat, and we're sending you to America. And so, I'm sorry, I have to talk about this. Yes, <laughs> the Massenet <laughs> Opera. Like this is Elspeth. This is one of your favorite things this in is one all of my favorite of things. opera. This is one of my favorite things. So Puccini is known for a lot of stuff: <laughs> dope ass mustaches, fast cars, love of women. Not a great researcher, right? <laughs> Not right. up on his geography. Not up on his geography. Um, love the idea of the Wild West, mm-hmm. the uh, the uh. wild, untamed country of America. Uh, so the way Puccini's Manon Lescaut ends is, um, so she gets shipped off to the Americas, and Degrio goes with her, even though he doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to be with you forever. I love you. And, of course, she gets sick on the uh, the ship journey across the ocean, and they land in New Orleans. Um, Which we all know is... Swamp. Swamp, yes. Um, but then the best part of it, you know, it ends with her. She obviously dies in his arms. And he's like, Manon. And she's like, um, But the best, the, the best part about it is that he describes in great detail about how they're, she's dying in the vast, wild desert of New Orleans. And... <laughs> The barren desert wasteland. barren desert wasteland of New Orleans, which is my favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't realize, like, he didn't really understand or have, you know, good access to information about climate. No, it's true. And I really wish that I would see a production that just leans into it. (laughs) Just, like, really leans into it. why not, why not just, like, be vague then? Like, she's in a desert I think you just love the, uh, the sound of... The wild deserts of New Orleans. Well, I, I feel like the whole idea of it being like this desolate, lifeless place really <laughs> matched the music that he wrote for her, actually, because the aria mm. that she sings at the very end, right before Degrio finds her in this barren desert wasteland, is Sola Perduta oh, Abandonata, right? Where alone, she's, lost, abandoned. Yeah, alone, lost, abandoned, where she's literally like, my life is horrible. Everything is destroyed. I'm going to die here all alone. Yeah, but again, mm-hmm. at that time, New Orleans was like a huge port city. Mm-hmm. Like, the boat <laughs> would have gone there, you know? Well, I don't know if it would well, have gone there because it would have had to like, go fairness, around, In fairness, I do think maybe he specifically says Louisiana rather than New Orleans. That's fair. You're even right. though at this You're time, right. Louisiana was confined to, I think, generally the Louisiana that we know today. Maybe he was confused about what at one point was the Louisiana Purchase, which was a much broader, faster area of land. True. 
I feel Why like you're you giving him, him a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to reason out why young, well, not so young Puccini would just throw it out there. I don't know. I think he just thought it sounded good. I think, he, yeah, yeah he thought it sounded very dramatic. But so. the, mm-hmm. the Massenet one ends much more cleanly where she's about to get on the boat. And then she dies. <laughs> Basically, De Griot oh, right. bribes a bunch of the guards to not put her on the boat. Right. And then they have this final love duet where, well, I don't know. It is a love duet. She apologizes to him and says, like, I can't believe I ruined your life so much. And I regret all these choices. He'll bounce back. Well, and he does. And he- yeah. <laughs> Wait, she dies and he just like gets up and walks away. Well, in the, in the operas, he doesn't do that. He they goes, both what? end with him like, being well, like, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, but at least he's not in Louisiana. Right. In a desert. Right. He can he can technically just sort of get up and walk, walk away. Home. He can walk home. <laughs> he can walk home <laughs> to his dad's house. But So are you saying that musically the Puccini ends in a more epic way? Okay. I think it ends in a more Italian way. Much more Italian way. <laughs> Basically, the way I describe it, Puccini's ends in this very, very dramatic, like, you're in a desert, your life is ruined, like, you're going to die, basta, die, right? right? Serves <laughs> like, you right. And then... Although, you know, what, you know what he always does is, as somebody's, like, clearly withering away, like, near death, mm-hmm. they always sing... A powerhouse aria. Yeah, it's like true. Sola Perduta Bandonata. <laughs> the role of Manuel right. Lascaux in the Puccini version calls for like a, a big old honking soprano yeah. voice. Let's listen to a little bit of it. So you can hear just how much sound you have to produce, how much dramatic singing you have to do, while simultaneously being a character that's minutes away from death.
That's not the tune. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the look at this like pretty little table where we sat. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, that's the right. adieu notre petite table. Yes. Notre oh, my petite table. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I feel like that was a running joke with Stuart for a while. It is. That aria is in the scene that only exists in Massenets, where you see the two of them together living in sin slash domestic bliss. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people say that because you actually see them living a life together, for even if for a brief period of time, you have more kind of emotional investment in them as a couple, whereas in Manon Lescaut, you never really see them living life together. <laughs> you only really see them like getting together and then breaking up and getting together and breaking up. And so... It's always a chase. Because of that, it's... Some people say that they don't develop a whole lot of sympathy for Manon in Manon Lescaut. I mean, I don't think that she's portrayed as a sympathetic character in either of the versions. No. And and I think in the book, she's probably written that way. Right. You know? And I also think that the text that they choose to give her is also very telling. In the French version, even as she's dying, Tegria is like, look at all the beautiful stars. And she's like, they look like diamonds. And so oh, you can gosh. you can see like where her, her mind is at. And there's another moment where he's like, I promise you, Manon, if you just power through we're going to be so happy we're going to build a happy life together and she's like yes i will be happy again and so there's a lot of kind of self-centered language in the massonet where everything is about her right and i guess in the puccini that final duet is like a much more standard oh i'm so sorry i love you i'm so sorry i love you yeah please forgive me yeah nonsense 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 so if you could only have one Menon opera for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? Oh. Well, so here's the thing. <laughs> the Italian one is much shorter. So? And the French one, there was an older production that had dogs in it. <laughs> so I'm on the fence. If I saw a production of the Puccini version that had dogs in it, yes, I'm sold. I have to uh. say... That I, I, every, well, I don't know. It's hard because I really enjoyed the orchestration of Massenet's score. Mm -hmm. I really didn't like how the characters came across in Massenet's opera as a whole. I just found that it seemed like Manon was crafted to be a shallow person from the Mm get-go. Where, in that score, whereas in Puccini's, I have found that you feel a little bit more like she is preyed upon as a woman in the world, which I feel is a little bit more, it's a character that I can sympathize with more. Like I Mm -hmm. I have much more emotional investment in a character that I see is like just trying to do the best that she can in a world where she's relatively disempowered and doesn't have a whole lot of options or agency. I mean, do you think it's better if you have sympathy for a character? Isn't it also okay if there's just... The main character is just horrible, kind of awful. I mean, I think there's nothing just wrong watching, with like, a kind of awful person make their way through the world and trick people along the route with dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess I just don't 
by the time the opera ended, I thought to myself, this music is way too beautiful for this character that I don't care about at all. I guess you're like, this four hours of my life, uh, I've right. watched this shit person. <laughs> like, like, I would have much rather... Gallivant through Paris and seduce a priest. Right. I would have much rather kind of found something about the character that that like resonated with me emotionally, which I have found in the Puccini more often than the Massenet. Which is strange because most people like the French one better because the music is really sumptuous, whereas Puccini's much more like kind of brute dramatic force, right? That's true. And I have heard people say that um, I've had a Frenchman say to me that the Massenet version is the only version because only a Frenchman can tell the, tell the story of a French girl. Oh. Uh, you guys didn't ask me which one. I was just I about would to, live with. Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, which one do you like better? I like the French one better, the Massenet. Why? And I've got three reasons for you. Okay. One, un petit table. Adieu, two. notre petite table. Right. Reason number two, priest sex. Yeah. Oh, my word. That, and why not, is that scene not in the Puccini? I feel like he would be really into that. It's a great scene. I'm saying, I don't even mean just simply the, the nature of the priest sex. I mean, that scene is a great scene. Like, it's musically. It's a great scene in the opera. That's It is a true. great scene. It's a very dramatic end of an act. Naomi's <laughs> rolling her eyes. <laughs> it is brilliantly written. Like, the drama certainly escalates and... I don't know. I just feel like by the end of it, I'm like, I feel like I should not be watching this. Like, <laughs> right. your eyes. But don't Which let the children good, see. Yeah. You want, <laughs> you want to be right on the see. edge of that. Right. <laughs> and reason number three, I think you'll believe is more substantial. And I've seen each of these operas live once, both at the Met. And I think the singers that I saw in, in the Massenet version, I enjoyed their performance better than the singers that I saw in the Puccini version. And I think that ultimately is what sways me. Sure. I can very much agree with that because I also saw singers that I really enjoyed in Manon Lescaux. And I think that's a huge part of enjoying any production. No matter how much you know about the score or the story or the music, sometimes the cast and the visuals of the production itself can make it or break it for you. So. Mm-hmm. To each his own. We we know you're a man Lesko. That's you're okay. a Lesko girl. I know it better. I know the opera better, and that usually also influences sure. how much I like it. When I am familiar with the score, then I feel like I buy into it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but... A fun fact about Manon Lescaux by Puccini is that this really was the opera that like catapulted him to fame. It was the third opera mm-hmm. that he ever wrote and his first two flopped terribly. And he was almost ready, I think, to... Well, I don't think he was ready to throw in the towel, but like he wasn't quite sure how to really make a good go of it in opera. And then... He wrote Manon Lescaux and it premiered and it was like an instant hit. So I feel like it's also an important opera historically because it's the opera that made Puccini Puccini, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I will say to this day, Manon along with Werther are the two most famous operas that Massenet wrote. Right. They get performed constantly. I feel like mm-hmm. 
I feel like Verter recently has become almost eclipsing Manon in popularity. Because it's a better opera. (laughs) (laughs) I did see Verter as well and loved it. Yeah, because it's great. It's amazing. Not a note wasted. I agree. Between Verter and Manon, I would definitely take Verter any day. It's like a tight two and a half. Yeah. (laughs) We'll have to talk about Verter in a future episode. Definitely. I can talk yes. about Verter forever. And in the meantime, you all now have heard a little bit of both Menno operas. Maybe you've seen them live and you have your own opinion about which you like better. If you do, you should find us on social media and let us know what you think. Please. I'm mm-hmm. curious to see what the popular consensus is about these operas. Mm-hmm. Additionally... Please take a moment and leave a review wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash operaafterdark or by going to operaafterdark.com and purchasing some sweet, sweet merch. That's right. Sweet, sweet merch. I'll be buying some for my mother for Ooh, Christmas nice. because she has requested a long sleeve t-shirt. You need to buy she some was, for... She was like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> you need to buy some for Peter. Do he needs some. I'll buy some. We make them in my brother's size. <laughs> we'll have to special order extra, one. Extra, Giant extra size. Long. Yeah. Right. right. Humongous size. But uh-huh. yeah, if you want to get your Christmas shopping or holiday shopping... Now's the time, people. The season has a f- begun. It's yeah. practically Halloween, and that means Thanksgiving's right around the corner, and by the time Thanksgiving hits, if you haven't bought your Christmas gifts, you're too late. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's never over. gonna happen it's never gonna happen give up yeah. you've get a head the hol- start you've let, ruined the holidays let opera after dark help you yes get a head while you're start doing, on your holiday shopping mm-hmm. while you're doing your holiday shopping make sure you have those earbuds in listening to more opera after dark yes and thanks for listening today we'll be with you next week with another episode i'm kyle i'm elspeth i'm naomi thanks for listening bye bye, bye. See